Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from John chapter 4, verses 45 to 54. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Canaan in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And he was going as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked him then, so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed all and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. morning that's coming out okay what's a little little bit feedbacky if it gets too bad I'll just go the handheld it's all right do you want me to just do a little how is that is that all right okay excellent lovely to be here my name's James Duff many of you know me um, if not it's nice to see you actually it's a uh, I think it's the second time I've preached here in the last few months. Uh, Lee and Shannon are good friends of me and my, my wife Jane and our family. Uh, they're actually going to be at our church this afternoon, which is called The Common. Uh, we're just a small, uh, well, we're not, we're growing a bit, uh, uh, church plant in Willoughby. And uh, we're in this sort of scale-up stage. We've even got rosters and maybe... Last, I think a couple of weeks ago, we had a microphone for the first time, so that was exciting. So we've, we've made it. Um, but it's lovely, it is lovely to be here with you to, uh, this morning. It's a privilege to preach and look at God's word together and hear from him. And so keep it open in front of you. It'll be great. At, at the Common, we're in a series on John's Gospel. And we're looking at the seven signs uh, that that uh, Jesus gives in the first half of John's Gospel. Uh, and these signs that he gives are, are meant to point to a greater reality, actually to the ultimate reality. In, in John chapter 20, it tells us why the book's written and why the signs are performed. Uh, they're performed and written, uh, all this is written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, uh, the Son of God, 
and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the signs are so that we believe he's the Messiah, the promised uh, Messiah that uh, is being prophesied through all the Old Testament to the Jewish people, that he's also the son of God, that is, that he's God himself, and that by believing in those things that we have life, life to the full. This is a, a book about life and how we can have it through the master Messiah. And today, what we've just read is the second sign. Some people think it's the third sign. Commentators are, are a little bit in conflict there. But we're at this sign, which is the healing of the royal official's son. When, when I went to school, which is not that long ago, really, although it seems like a long time ago when I'm seeing these young people at the front, I'm getting older, but... Not that long ago, 30 years ago, when I went to school, um, one of the most derogatory uh, and racist insults that you could call someone was a half-caste. That was someone of of mixed race. The idea uh, is that because the person is of mixed race, uh, they're not fully human. That was the idea. It's a derogatory, terribly demeaning, dehumanising phrase and one I used to hurt people. I remember using the insult in school. I was good at it. I attempted to dehumanise others to deliberately hurt them. And this is how many Jewish people, many Jewish people of the day saw the Samaritans. The Samaritans' lineage was a mixed, uh, was a mixed race between the Assyrian blood, this northern kingdom, and Jewish blood because of what happened in the exile. You can read about it in the Old Testament. But they're, they're not full blood They're a mixed race. They're half-blood. They're half-castes, not pure Israelites. And Jewish people couldn't stand the half-bloods, the Sumerians. And Jesus, sweet Jesus, in our reading today, has just returned after fraternising here with the half-castes. And he arrives here in Galilee... It's Jewish territory. It's home soil. You see, Jesus was a Jew, if you didn't know. (laughs) Jesus is a Jew, not a white man with blue eyes and a big beard. He would have been uh, probably dark-skinned and dark eyes and a clipped beard and clipped hair. And He was a tecton, he was a builder, Maybe maybe a carpenter with wood, but probably with stone. If you've ever been to Israel, there ain't much wood. He was a builder. Ricky, probably pretty buff, strong bloke. And here he is on home turf, where he belongs. Yet we read, I've got a slight different translation I've been preaching from here, but we read in verse 44, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country. This is a term, a term that Jesus uses in all four Gospels. Uh, and it's a term of rejection. 
those of us who are from different cities than Perth, we can often find ourselves really excited when we are going home. Next week I'm going to Melbourne. Actually, I'm going with Lee and Shannon. Um, but anyway, um, we are going to Melbourne at a, to a conference there, church planting conference. And I'm excited because I get to go down on the weekend to Geelong, which is where I'm from, and uh, get to watch the Cats play, which is going to be excellent. But, um, side note completely, but what I'm, I'm excited about, going there and seeing family. But I'm also a bit scared because going home to family can be a bit, be a bit, a bit scary. I don't know if you've felt like that. Because in Geelong, they know what I'm like, actually. They know, they know Duffy. They know, they know Jimbo. 13-year-old Jimbo. 15, 17, 19, 25. Goodness me. They know me and what I'm like. And Jesus here is moving uh, from Samaria back to home turf, where he's known, he's Joseph's boy. He's the builder, carpenter. Uh, and there's potential for rejection of who he truly is. Because he's more than a carpenter, he's more than a builder. He's more than just a miracle worker. Now, this is the word it says in chapter 1, who's made flesh. This is God coming to us. This is ultimate reality in a person. The Logos made flesh. The master Messiah. This is who Jesus was. And he knows that. He knows who he is. But they don't. Yet, yet we read in verse 45 that the Galileans welcomed him. Just have a look at that. They welcomed him. That's strange, isn't it? The scene seems to be set for Jesus to be rejected. Prophet has no honour in his hometown. Yet it reads in verse 45, they welcome him. Why? Verse 45, they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival. Okay, I think, what did it say in yours? It didn't have that. It said at the feast. It's the Passover festival that they have every year, remembering what God had done in the Exodus. Uh, for they had also been there. A few weeks ago, I gave a sermon uh, before this one where we looked at the Passover festival. And if we remember the story, it's where Jesus cleanses the temple. It's a violent scene. He goes like Mike Tyson on them. He pulls up the tables of the moneylenders and he sort of screams at them, uh, you know, saying things like, don't make my father's house a place of commerce. What are you doing? This is a holy place. And it was a sign. It was a sign of him cleansing the temple. It was a cleansing sign that Jesus is the true and better temple. That the way we now meet God is not in a place, but in a person. But 
But why would the cleansing of the temple, this, this violent scene where he upset the leaders, the Sanhedrin and all the people in it, why would that make the Galileans welcome him? You would think it'd have the, oppos- the actual opposite effect. Why would they welcome him when they've been there and they've seen that? On Friday, the Melbourne Demons defeated Fremantle. Thought that would be a good thing to talk about here. Um, and it would be like me rocking up this morning in a Melbourne jumper. Yeah, I can hear it. Um, I don't think that that would really endear me to you. Maybe it would, but to some of you. Um, and it seems strange that this violent cleansing of this temple, uh, how that could at all endear Jesus uh, to these people who loved the temple. That's their place. That's their religious meeting place. Well, I want you to just stick with me. I'd like you to concentrate a little bit, then you can go back to thinking about the footy or what are you eating for lunch. But just think about this for a minute. John chapter 2, verse uh, 23 to 25. This is after the cleansing of the temple. Just concentrate for a minute. This is what it says. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs, plural S, he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each people. They welcomed him because of the signs. He was doing lots of them. I've got seven recorded, but he was doing signs, and they believed because of the signs, the miracles. The reason why they welcomed him is because they wanted a miracle man. They wanted a miracle man, but not a master messiah. They want a false Jesus. Jesus knew this. He knows what our hearts are like. He knows your heart, yours, 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 yours. He knows yours, he knows mine. They're wanting a false Jesus, a miracle man over the master Messiah, who the real Jesus is. What's crazy about this, even crazier, and it's, it's total Jesus, that if we read all of chapter 4, it was the half-castes, the half-bloods, the half-humans, the Samaritans who accepted Jesus as the real Messiah because of his word. What he said, they said, you are the saviour of the world, verse 42. You're the master Messiah. Do you remember the woman at the well? She believed because of what he said. A man talking to a Samaritan woman never happened. A rabbi talking to a Samaritan woman off the charts. Crazy. And he speaks to her and he calls out the sin and he says, you can have life, living water in me. And they believe because of, their, of his word and not miracles, the master Messiah. So his own people want a miracle worker. The half-castes, they want a master Messiah. That's the context 
that hangs over this reading. And, and, and now it just plays out in a smaller story. A, a real-life parable, you can say, where we're introduced to this royal official who Jesus knows what his heart's like and his bloke desperately wants uh, his son to live. He's close to death, and who wouldn't? But he wants Jesus as the miracle worker. He doesn't want Jesus as the master messiah. And, he, and Jesus responds to him uh, in, the most, in the most shocking way. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Now, this royal official most likely a Jew employed by King Herod, would have been a man of, of wealth, a man of power. And he's heard that Jesus is in town in Cana. Either he's heard or he was there at the last miracle. Do you remember the wedding at Cana? You know the story? It's the first miraculous sign where Jesus had taken like bath water and made it Penfold's Grange. You know, it's like... Not crappy Jacob's Creek. This is, this is sort of awesome Grange hermitage. And it's the first miraculous sign that Jesus gave. But it's not really about the water into wine at all. Because it's a sign that points to his own wedding. Jesus is there thinking about his own wedding at Calvary where it wouldn't be cheering for him, but mocking and ridicule. It wouldn't be wine spilling over for a beautiful bride. It would be blood pouring out for his bride. For it's there that he married us. In ultimate sacrificial love and so we read on in verse 47 that the official begged Jesus can you, can you come to my house where, where my son is in Capernaum to heal him and the distance between Cana and Capernaum it's about 40 miles it's a two day journey the official is wanting Jesus to come under his authority do the miracle Save the son. He's asking Jesus to be his personal miracle worker. Come and do the, do the trick. And that's why Jesus' response is so shocking. In verse 48. You won't believe unless you see a sign. And he's, he's rebuking this official. But he's also re rebuking his people. You people. His own people. His family. It's his own people who want to welcome him as the miracle worker, a false Jesus. And Jesus is coming as the master Messiah. Yet the royal official still doesn't get it. Verse 49, come and heal. Can you come and heal him? And Jesus says to him, go. And Jesus gives him an order. 
It doesn't tell us in here, but I wonder if that was just an eyeballing situation. I wonder how long that would have gone for. And he comes in, I want the miracle, come on, mate. And Jesus just says, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take grace, I'm going, to heal, I'm going to heal the boy. But go. I wonder how long that took. I wonder if he left with much faith at all. I wonder what he might have been muttering to himself as he's walking home. But on the way home, the story goes that some of his the people who worked for him said, look, your son's healed. He says, when? When was it? And he finds out it's exactly when Jesus said that he was going to do it. Healed because of Jesus' word. On his terms, the master Messiah. So, how does that land for us? What do we do with this? Now, if we treat Jesus like a miracle worker, like a genie, like a vending machine, put in the money, out it comes, well, this will hurt us. It doesn't work. Jesus, just as a miracle worker, is a false Jesus. John Calvin famously wrote that the human heart is an idol factory. It makes idols. We want the gifts above the giver. You know, we're all like that. We all want the gifts above the giver. We want miracles over the master. And the result is that we end up being our own God because we then have to control our lives when things don't go our way. See, if we treat him just as a miracle worker and we get a miracle, we'll be delighted. But if not, we'll be totally distraught. Our faith in the false miracle worker, Jesus, is fickle and completely fragile. As soon as tragedy occurs, we leave this false Jesus miracle worker and we put him aside and we continue on with our own life as our own God in this endless, fruitless journey for false idols, trying to find fulfilment in things that are sometimes really even good, but they're not ultimate. So if we don't treat him, Jesus, as the miracle man, do we not ask for miracles? The other logical step, isn't it? Nick Cave, some of you know Nick Cave, great singer, sort of like an Australian poet. I mean, if a guy's gone through the dark soul of the night, he's a guy. He just lost his second son as an adult, tragically. Uh, he plays the piano with his Bible open. And he wrote a song, and the first line of it is, I don't believe in an interventionist God. What he's saying is, I don't believe in a God of miracles in the day-to-day -day life. I believe in a God who spun the world and let it go. It's a heresy called deism. It doesn't work. If that is true, we have a God who doesn't really either care for us or we have a God who's not powerful. 
and the ultimate outworkings of again, of, again, of not believing in an interventionist God, a God of miracles, is hopelessness. And guess what? We control our lives again. We become God, or try to become God. Because we need to control our lives, and that never ends well. So, Fremantle Church, if we treat Jesus as though he doesn't do miracles, this is a false Jesus and it doesn't work. But on the other hand, if we only treat Jesus as a miracle worker, that is a false Jesus and that doesn't work either. So what do we do? Well, we should ask for miracles. They're not a bad thing. Actually, miracles are really good. Jesus liked them and he did them. They're good things. They're not ultimate things. You see, that's what the human heart's like. The human heart's an idol factory. It goes for good things above the ultimate things. Love little things a little amount, medium things a medium amount, big things a big amount, and an ultimate thing ultimately. But the problem with our hearts is that we take little, medium, and big things and we make them ultimate. And that's what was happening for the man in today's reading. His son is a big thing. And if he lost him, he should fall on the ground and cry. It should hurt him. But it's not ultimate. My wife, Jane, is the greatest thing in my life outside of Jesus. I love her. But if I love her ultimately, I don't love her properly because she can't give me only what the ultimate one can. And I'll love her badly. And if she loves me ultimately, that's bad as well because I can't give that to her either. And one day I'm going to put her in a coffin or she's going to put me in one. Because she's not the ultimate love in my life. She's next. It should hurt if I lose her. Of course it should. But it's not ultimate. See, the big problem is... So let me backtrack because I've gone off script. <laughs> uh, the answer is we need to treat Jesus like he is revealed in the Bible as the master Messiah and then ask for miracles. That's what we should do. But there's a big problem. We don't treat him as the master Messiah by just saying so. We just, we just won't. Our hearts are too fickle. We're too tricky. We're too good getting out from underneath. The affections of our heart need to be won by the ultimate miracle that stamped Jesus as the master Messiah. The miracle where the only true son who deserved to live undeservedly died so many sons who deserved to die lived that's what happened. Grace. The ultimate miracle was on the cross and it fulfills the greatest miracle of our hearts being reconciled to God for eternity. It tells us that we're seen, that we're known, that we're loved, that he cares about us, that our life has meaning, that what we do counts. He sees us. 
So much so that he went lower than we'll ever go because he's come from a higher place. The word made flesh. There's the miracle. That's what needs to capture our heart. The miracle tells us that we are his. So, if we get miracles, small miracles, because they're really small, we think they're massive, but they're small, that someone's cured from cancer, we should pray for that. All the miracles that we see, we should. If we get them, great. And if we don't get them, great. For the greatest miracle has happened. So Frio Church, last thing, we can come to him. You can come to him. I can come to him. For he is our, my, yours, master, Messiah. We can come and ask for miracles because he is the master and he is our Messiah. Amen.